0: And I really hope it's the sound from the Jetsons. <laughs> With the cars and the Jetsons. I hope that's where we land eventually. I want every car to make that noise.
1: That are farting noises in Beavis and Butthead. Yeah.
0: Hey, I'm Steve. And I'm Lance. We're Curious Car Guys. Welcome to Launch Control what's up everybody welcome back to the podcast i'm steve and i'm here with lance what's happening and we're talking about car stuff we got lots of stuff it's kind of random today it's more of a casual chit chat
1: yeah it's it's almost labor day weekend or like it, it is labor day weekend
0: now for me it's officially labor day weekend yeah subtle plug for balcones <laughs> one of my clients my day job is advertising in balcones distilling in waco texas is one of my clients and we may or may not be enjoying a little bit of friday happy hour allegedly while we're podcasting. allegedly yeah. So um, yeah, I mean, last podcast was really fun. Loved yeah. having uh, dial-in uh, guest yeah. Portland, Oregon, uh, representing with the Overland Vans. That's really cool, adventure vans. I've been thinking about that a lot. Talked to the wife about it. Yeah, what'd she, she talked me. She talked me off the fence. Oh yeah, yeah. I was about to sell the GTR and like build a, a sprinter. Oh, it was like yeah. that. I mean, I was. You know, I've got the I've got the K car now, which mm-hmm. it's it's really funny when I think about. Oh, it's a nice day. I'm not going to drive the Tacoma to work. I'm going to take one of the fun cars. I go straight for that K car. Are you serious? Yeah. I haven't driven the GTR in weeks. I can help you with that. <laughs> I bet you can. <laughs> um, no, real talk though, R33 GTR. I'm going to sell the 35 and get a 33 in yeah. January or February. 100%. And okay. now that I have a right-hand drive JDM car back in my garage, I'm like, I, this, is, this is me. That's you? This is me. So okay. I'm going to enjoy the 35 for a few more months couple more months i don't want to wait till the winter to sell it so you may be uh there may be a really really cool looking blue gtr coming soon to craigslist near you (laughs) if (laughs) anybody's interested hit me up at gallo 24 gtr on on instagram what i want to do like stupid stupid playing with cars i want to have gallo 24 on the r33 gtr and i want to have gallo 12 on the k car
1: does it make sense I'm trying to make sense of it. I mean, it's a turbo. It's a,
0: well, it's not, it is half the cylinders and it's half the turbos. Oh, yeah, it works. Yeah. And half the, it's not an all wheel drive. um, Alto works. They did come in all wheel drive. Mine's just the front wheel drive one. So it's like half the drive driven wheels too. It's like half of every, it's half the size.
1: Nice. Yeah. Okay. Kind of works. That can work. We'll
0: see. I don't know. Maybe not. But um, yeah, so we're going to talk about lots of fun things. I know um, Lance, you went to, auto car week or whatever it's called out there for the fancy rich people in California. (laughs) What was that like? Like just like, what was your, what was the highlight of that? Yeah.
1: I think we could spend a whole episode just talking about that, but it really, it it really distorts or I guess it really realigns your view of wealth. It was pretty amazing. And so I went on behalf of um, Alpha Luxe, so um, you
0: wrote an article for them. Tell people where I they did can I did, a see couple
1: that. of articles. So if you go to alphalux.com, it's actually a luxury lifestyle magazine. They do cars along with like watches, travel, and and other lifestyle um, areas. And so um, I had gone with them to a couple of the more exclusive shows at Monterey Car Week. So okay. for those of you guys that don't know, um, Monterey Car Week, you've probably heard of the Be- Pebble Beach yeah, um, totally. concourse. Yeah, so, totally. That was kind of the anchor event uh, that runs on a Sunday. Well, what happened was, people were coming in on Saturdays, and then, um, eventually, they got to a point where they wanted events on Saturdays, which then turned into events on Fridays. Long story short, you've got a whole week of car-related events in the same city, Monterey, California, and um, it it was pretty amazing. Like, okay, so just a glimpse of it and we'll t- we'll get off of this and cover it on another episode but i saw about six Aventadors just rolling around on the street i saw seven senas going around just driving around like it's nothing at both of the car shows that i was at um cars that were solid seven figures borderline eight figures we're just sitting in the parking lot on the dirt
0: yeah i saw so i i'm a big i, I don't watch a lot of tv i watch a lot of youtube and yeah. i follow a lot of car youtubers some of them i'm sure a lot of our listeners are familiar with and a lot of them went out there for that week and yeah it was crazy seeing like oh i'm gonna go walk to my car and go back to my hotel and i'm gonna pass eight bentleys and a a couple of f40s and like yeah. these rare crazy expensive cars that probably belong some of them in, in a museum and definitely in a climate controlled garage and with, yeah you know under a car cover yeah um and they're they're just out like it's it's kind of it's really awesome kind of weird but like yeah definitely recalibrates kind yeah. of your like these people take their multi multi-million dollar cars and park them in a gravel parking lot yep. to go look at Cars they can't afford.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's and crazy. They, they like rally their cars into Monterey. Yeah. Or they ship, and I didn't realize that. I don't know why I didn't know shipping was such a big deal for ultra expensive cars. So like, I thought, hey, if I have a nice car, I'm just going to drive it to a car show. Right. And they don't have time for that. So <laughs> you'll see a line of eighteen wheelers. Yeah. And they only have one or two cars in them.
0: Well, and depending how far you're going, if you have a super expensive car. A, if it's an older car, it may not be super reliable and make right. the trip. And if something breaks, who knows if you can like. So yeah, um, yeah. hauling it out there and then driving it three blocks to the the, the manicured lawn that it's going to be parked on is probably yeah. the best bet.
1: Yeah, That's but cool. overall, you know, even though it was like crazy expensive cars and lifestyle and this and that, um, you never got the sense that it was too pretentious. And I think that was like the car enthusiast side of it. Mm. So alongside, you know, you know, pre-World War II Bentley, you saw like i don't know you would see like a volvo p 1800 (laughs) nice okay Fifteen thousand dollar car sitting on the same lawn right um next to a mclaren f1 you'll see like just normal cars right and stuff some of the stuff we saw at radwood was out there yeah radwood
0: was crazy there was like that 959 and like some crazy exotic rare cars there too so that was
1: it was cool man i i wouldn't recommend it to anybody uh you know a couple the couple of shows that i went to it's a little bit harder to get a ticket right but if you can get one it's worth doing once at least once cool I mean, it's, a, it's a really so best nice car
0: setup. there in your opinion
1: Ooh. i'm i'm a sucker for mclaren f1s so there was a mclaren f1 lm in bright orange nice that i mean i don't really care about anything else yeah. when i say well it was like that and an f50 there was an f50 yeah. in the parking lot right it wasn't on display. Again,
0: like going in to see the cars that he can't afford. Yeah,
1: <laughs> like they had the F fifty race car version. I forgot what it was called. Wow. Um, but then it was just a regular F fifty sitting next to a Senna. I'll, I'll put that up on the Instagram page. But uh, I think those two. When I see in a McLaren F one, it's like okay, nothing else matters. Not really.
0: So but. when you're when you're there, do they have? Like obviously the cars are on display. Do they yeah. have any events? Do you get to hear the cars running? Do you get to do they drive? Is there a parade? Mm. Is there, are there laps? Or like you show is it, up
1: like the day before? Yeah. Um, and when they're unpacking the cars from the trailer, that's the when you get the, the cold yeah. starts and the revs yeah. and whatever. It's okay. pretty cool. And that's some cool. of these guys are seeing the cars for the first time. So similar to like SEMA where they reveal a car, oh, some of okay. these guys, it's been a build or a restoration, a restoration that they're yeah. bringing the car week. And the first time the owner seeing is when it comes off the, tr- uh, the truck. Gotcha. It's pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 Very cool.
0: So speaking of sounds of cars revving and whatnot. Um, You pointed me in the direction of this article that I find really, really intriguing yeah. for a number of reasons. But we've talked about a lot this, um, you know, the future of driving probably is electric vehicles for, you know, a day-to-day driving right. type. Not, not enthusiast driving, but utility driving.
1: And is. we're down with that. I'm down with that. I'm totally down I'm with that.
0: I'm good with that. Electric vehicles and self-driving vehicles. But the electric vehicle portion presents some challenges and not just with range or you know the amount of time it takes to fill up the batteries, but with the sound or the the lack of sound rather. So, yeah. tell me what happened with Wesley. Yeah. So my, one of my first, I think it may have been my very first experience with any Tesla vehicle. It was before the Model S and the three and the and the Model X. Um, it was the old tesla roadster which was lotus based if yeah. i remember correctly and it was out of cars and coffee so my son who's now 11 he was maybe three at the time and he was walking around and uh maybe had let go of my hand and uh i turned around to just check on him and there was a car almost about to run him over now the driver saw him so the driver was not going to run him over but it was kind of he was in the way he couldn't hear it because it was a Tesla Roadster. It was making no noise. It was, you know, it's like a golf cart. Yeah. All you can hear is like the crackle of the tires on the pavement if there's any noise that that even makes. So so that was kind of a moment where I was like, oh, interesting. Like, I think electric cars are cool, but that's a challenge. That's a problem, especially if half or more of the cars on the road are electric
1: yeah and people are just walking around with their face in their phones they or that but even attention. just
0: think of people who are visually impaired right they yeah. can't they have to rely That's on their true. ears so yeah um so there's this article on jalopnik about it's kind of on this um this topic of like how electric vehicle makers are tackling the challenge of projecting enough sound to be safe yeah and so that people can hear a car coming before they see it
1: yeah they're trying to make that something that's a regulation not Jalopnik but um, legislation they're trying to find some solution for this and so um, Jalopnik goes into the idea of you know what's what is this what could this look like um, as electric vehicles become more prevalent and uh, what are the opportunities that um, some of the people in the industry see? Um, if this thing comes to fruition. Yeah.
0: It's really cool. It's interesting. So being in the creative field, I, and specifically my the history of what I've been doing up until now has been a lot in the interactive creative field. So building user experiences. And and this is a UX challenge, right? So it's a user experience challenge uh, in the car world pertaining to the sound a car makes, which I think is really fascinating. I think there's a, a number of different directions it could go. And it's probably gonna, it it probably will go in all of those directions at once before it finally kind of becomes common. There's gonna eventually be a common standard, and I really hope it's the sound from the Jetsons, (laughs) with the cars and the Jetsons. I hope that's where we land eventually. I want every car to make that noise. That are farting noises in Beavis and Butthead. (laughs) Yeah, but I think we're gonna hear, I think there's gonna be a lot of manufacturer, I mean they do it on cars now that have engines. They Mm. manufacture the sound. They pipe it in. Through the speakers. So that you, as a driver, feel like you have a high-performance car because yeah. I could hear it go rev rev. Yeah, um, which is I'm not a fan of that. Yeah, but I am a fan of like being able to download ringtones for my, like the equivalent of a ringtone, a rev tone for my car. Yeah. And then customize, like it's just another for enthusiasts, it's another way to customize and express yourself through your vehicle. So I think it could be cool. Although I think it could, it could get out of hand. So that's
1: what I, that's where I'm at with it. I, I I think it's cool. I think it is necessary. um, Just because of the way the world is today. The difficulty for me is like the chaos that might come from that, where look, when you're talking about a regular um, internal combustion engine car, they all make kind of the same noise. You might have a little bit different exhaust here and there, but you don't really hear it unless you rev it, right? Um, most of the time when you're sitting out of light, you're just sitting out of light. If you're in a parking lot, it's a low thrum, but you hear it. Where here, now I'm going to hear La Cucaracha every time. <laughs> <Like you laughs> or Duke's a Hazard. Yeah. yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. People just, there's going to be that chaos unless, you know, we take our time and figure this thing out
0: well and as more systems and cars become uh, like computer-based more people are going to be able to reverse engineer and hack those systems yeah. and customize them so yeah. it's going to be um interesting to see number one how these in the article on jalopnik it calls them acoustic vehicle alert systems so how these are fleshed out over time right so how are they you know how are they built by the manufacturers is it a simple thing that can be customized through the menu system or the onboard computer? Right. Is it something that's, you know, more hardwired into the ECU and it needs to be hacked um, and then you like upload a MP3 or a WAV file or whatever? That remains to be seen. But I think, um, I think we're going to see a lot of fake uh, inter- internal combustion engine noises coming from lot. electric vehicles. Yeah. And the reason being, it makes sense to do that because as humans, our brains process most of the information that we're given on a daily basis is processed on a non-conscious level. And a lot of that is because of how we've been trained, right? Mm -hmm. Our brain builds these shortcuts to make decisions and to understand what's going around on around us. And as you know, growing up for, for you and me over the last 30 plus 30 plus 12 years, (laughs) (laughs) not me, I'm only 26. (laughs) Um, but growing up, in and around internal combustion engines, when you're crossing a street, you could be looking at your phone or you could be looking the wrong way or whatever, and your brain is non-consciously processing sounds and you're listening for the sound of an internal combustion engine. If you heard a random electronic noise, it may not register as a vehicle, so your brain may not process it as there's a vehicle behind you or next to you. And so that could uh, potentially put you in a dangerous situation. So I think we will see a lot of fake engine noises coming from engineless cars for a while until some regulations or enough time has passed that our brains have been trained to process different types of sounds as a car approaching.
1: Yeah, I can see that. And and this took a a nice little turn in the article where they were talking about the opportunity for car manufacturers to sort of create an auditory signature, right? And um, use it as something that bolsters their brand a little bit further. You know, I you kind of see it when it comes to interior dings and tones and things sure. like that, right? Like, like the can, new
0: Supra, when you open the door and leave the key inside, it makes a BMW there. noise.
1: Had to go there. <laughs> it sounds better than a Toyota noise. Absolutely does. Um, but it's one of those things where, like what you said, once you have this over time, um, it doesn't take long for you to identify something with a, a specific brand, and so. Uh, I think for me, one of the things, I've talked to a lot of guys that have like Teslas, not so many guys that have anything else, but um, one of the things they really love about their cars is that the fact that it's, and they don't realize it till they drive it every day, is this idea of having a really serene, quiet interior. So the ability to protect that, which becomes, because it's a high value thing yeah. for most electric owners, at least the ones I've talked to, and, but while still doing the safety for the outside, yeah, there's an opportunity to do it. I just hope they take it. Yeah. you know, um, And part of this too is like, especially in very dense areas where there's a lot of population, a lot of cars, you have an opportunity to create something that's a quieter environment yeah. and hit the reset button on everything that's going on.
0: Yeah, the one thing that we want to avoid is creating sound chaos. Could you imagine being in like a, a, a heavy... Uh, urban setting like Manhattan and you've got 15 different manufacturers of electric cars all making their branded sound for this is a Nissan driving at 7 miles an hour, this is a Mercedes driving at 7 miles an hour, whatever it is that would be auditory chaos and I think that it would be really difficult to function in that scenario, exactly. so um, it's going to be super, super interesting to see. I love the idea of being able to use this as an opportunity to brand. Yeah, um, and I love it as an opportunity to be able to compete for a higher um, kind of aesthetic experience, right? Higher quality noises, brands that spend more money on, you know, better um, talent, folks who are developing these sounds. Um, to have just a more refined sound versus something that might be a little bit more raw or you know less less um, thoughtful, yeah or yeah. dignified., yeah. right. It's just like the difference between watching a high budget movie and a low budget movie, right? Yeah. You can tell the difference even as a consumer who doesn't understand the production process, you can look at it and say, oh, that's a little cheaper. They didn't have the budget for that. Mm-hmm. Oh, and this is a Marvel cinematic universe movie mm-hmm. and I can tell the special effects are actually really good. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I think that, uh, I think that there's a really cool evolution that's going to happen there. I'm excited to see what they do with it. I know there's going to be a lot of fails along the way too. So we'll be happy to point those out on our <laughs> podcast. <laughs>
1: exactly. While <Well>, we <coughs> strut around in our 25 to 30 year old Japanese cars.
0: Yeah. I'm still going to be driving a three cylinder, uh, <laughs> turbo Suzuki
1: I got a chance to see so this was the first time I got to see the alto in real life and um, I was it is cool man and like I in the pictures I don't know what it is it just looks like a K car would be a lot smaller and then I saw it in real life I was like oh no this is like two-thirds you know yeah it, it's pretty much there I think the alto the
0: alto um is the one that gives that impression okay the interior space when you get in that car it yeah. feels twice as big as it really? is. Well, for one reason the roof is so high. Yeah. And you're you're sitting on the floor. Like okay. you're literally sitting inches above the ground. And mine's lowered so maybe it feels a little even more like that, but you're sitting on the ground but the 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 headroom I somebody who's 6-7 could sit in that and their head wouldn't touch the ceiling. Nice. The headroom's huge. The, there's glass everywhere at eye level it's completely panoramic i did li- i did notice that and so it Lots of feels glass. huge inside even though it's not yeah and on the outside it doesn't look as diminutive because the roof is so tall mm-hmm. compared to a honda beat or a suzuki cappuccino or a mazda az1 or something like that yeah. those all look tiny
1: and i feel like the color helps the I, white. It, yeah the white with yeah. the silver bottom you know it's just or the pewter colored bottom it's it kind of gives it a little bit more of like okay you see everything on the car yeah. nothing's hidden and yeah. so it looks a little bit larger and but I really like uh, the stance looks great wheels yeah. everything looks perfect on it uh, that particular example is really nice It's fun it's a so, it's a
0: cool car it still needs a little love here and there but um you know what 25 well, saw, year old car doesn't
1: You ripped out the dash you put some decals back on Yeah uh yeah. some different things like and you were actually thinking about creating some that other alto owners could
0: yeah, so what I did is I found some decent photos of the original um, decals that came on the car, yeah. which are, you can't buy reproductions, and I just made new ones, so I, I did the artwork and we've got equipment to cut decals here at the office, so I just made new decals for okay. it, and they're, they're, they um, are, almost OEM, yeah. but uh, yeah, there's so there's a variety of different decal options that were available for the car, and then of course there were the different trim levels of the car. Even the, uh, the RS models, there was the, the works models, there was the RSX and the RSR. So, you know, they have different decal packages. So what I want to do is eventually have the artwork for all the decals, and then As soon as I posted up that one picture of the front decal that I made on Instagram, I had like four or five Alto owners are like, hey, I need decals for my car. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it'd be nice to be able to help folks get that kind of cleaner look by refurbishing the decals. No, I like it. Love to do that. I liked it. Yeah. Uh, What I don't like about the car, though, is um, it has a manual transmission, which is cool, but the bushings are really worn out. So Mm -hmm. there's like and it's a long shifter so a little bit of play in the bushings by the time you get all the way up the shifter to the shift knob it like moves eight inches (laughs) and it's in gear and you can still move it like eight inches back and forth so it's like stirring a pot of oatmeal changing the gears yeah um and i don't like that so that's probably the next thing i'm going to tackle is i can buy new bushings they're really expensive because it's a 25 year old Suzuki and they don't make it so it's like I don't know it would cost me over $100 just to change the bushings and the shifter which so, doesn't so there's sem-
1: not like um, part sharing between that model and anything else
0: there, like- mm, there probably is between that model and like the um, AZ1 or the Cappuccino okay they probably they may use similar bushings but all in the shifter. straight JDM's yeah, it's going to be it's going to be straight out of Japan. So, um, I was talking to another Alto owner and he just said he bought some um, Delrin that that kind of hard bushing material. Yeah. And it comes in different diameters. You buy it kind of I, don't, I call it a rod or a bar of Delrin, but it's a it's a cylinder, a long cylinder. You buy it in the right diameter to fit inside the shifter um, the rod that has the, the holder for the bushing at that joint yeah, and you just cut it to length and drill the hole the right size in it and bolt it back together. And now you've got a really solid shifter feel. So I'm probably going to try that DIY fix. It's, you know, instead of $170, once I get stuff shipped from Japan, it might be, you know, 30 or $40. And uh, so I'm going to give that a go. And, um, after that, it's pretty much in good shape. Yeah. I've got to I've got to do some engine bay cleanup. Uh, the engine's a little messy. Oh, valve cover gaskets I have coming from Japan, so I've got to replace those. Clean the engine. Okay. Paint a few things that have a little surface rush on them uh, in the engine bay, like the battery tie down and stuff. But uh, tidy it up; it'll be it'll be in good shape. It'll we can be, talk
1: about where you get parts from. I think that that was one of the things we missed when we did that series. Oh yeah. It was like okay, once you have it, if you want to buy parts or you want to do stuff, what do you want? Well, do you we get can from? we
0: can talk about it in detail, but I'll just say MegaZip.net. Okay. And anybody listening who needs parts from Japan, yeah, go to megazip.net. Sweet. So, um, but speaking of shifters, another article that we were going to talk about today is um, it's kind of like this ongoing conversation that flappy paddle gearboxes are better and faster and just as um, I won't say just as engaging, but can be just as fun mm-hmm. as a as a standard row your own gears kind of gearbox. Um, but manufacturers are going in the direction of flappy paddles. We see this with the GTR and the Supra, and a lot of other high performance. And you know, I don't think you can buy a supercar with a gated manual very much anymore.
1: No, I think I mean not a supercar. R eight. Uh, not the current generation. No. Mm-mm.
0: So the the manual transmission,
1: it's pretty much gone. Like Porsche pre- does porsche is yeah. probably the closest gt3
0: you can get with a manual
1: yeah or like if they specially make an addition that's less supercar and more about the feel then they might throw a, a manual transmission you can hey for those of you guys who can't afford one you can still get a honda accord with a six speed there you go but yeah. i mean in in
0: reality the the um dcg is faster yeah dcts than
1: a dsgs PDKs, whatever you want to call it. It's just, you call flappy paddle. The flappy paddle
0: gearbox is a, it's a higher performance gearbox. You're going to get faster shifts. You're going to get faster acceleration. You're going to get more consistent downshifts in a corner.
1: And it's safer, you know, like you're not going to money shift a car that has flappy paddles. A computer won't let you, you know? So yeah, it's, it it is going there and you can't, so there are guys that are so against you know, those kind of transmissions and they're like, Oh no, I'm stick only. We and had
0: one on the podcast. Not, uh, yeah. not more than three or four yeah. months ago. Adam was pretty hardcore. About he was that. very hardcore.
1: I feel like, uh, I take a little bit more measured approach to that. I think if you're, if your goal is to go fast or if you have a car that is, um, a daily driver or if you, you know, just simply want people that can't drive a stick to be able to drive it. I think they've gotten good enough now where you as an enthusiast, you can still really enjoy. Like I drove a, a 911, a 991.2 with a PDK, and you know, my thing with Porsche is they make one of the best manual gearboxes in the business, but the thing is, is they make one of the best floppy paddles in right. the business too. Right. And so getting to drive that car, um, i tell you, I, I didn't enjoy it any less. I really loved driving that car, and you know, I just, I think there's really, it just depends on what you're after. And I think we talked about this a couple of episodes ago, but if you have an older car that is analog by its very nature and you get all the sounds and you get this, that, and the other, and it's not an all out performance car, it's never gonna perform. Like my RX-7, there are too many cars out there today, like mid-level cars that can outperform that car if we're gonna take it to a track or do something. right. So it's never gonna be that car, but it is a very analog car. Sure. So having a stick in that, and there is no good automatic option at that point in that that vintage, right? No, No, late
0: 90s uh, manufacturers were trying to figure out the push button on the steering wheel, but like taking a, a traditional automatic slush box and Like my Lexus uh, GS had the Lexus sport shift feature, which allowed you to do the buttons on the steering wheel to shift. And it was still slow. Very slow. Really, you know. Mushy. Mushy. Wasn't crisp. You know,
1: like when you asked it to downshift, it took a beat. And it was like, wait, no, you want to do this for real? So, but now like even automatic transmissions that are not, you know, DCT or PDK or whatever, those are, they shift very crisp. Yeah. Well, the new
0: Supra is a flappy paddle, but it's not a DCT. Yeah. It's it's a slush box. And
1: it's, it's a good gearbox. Now, granted, they use it in everything now, but there's a reason they use it in everything. Right. And it's just really interesting to me that, um, you know, like the M the E60 M five, which is the generation before the current one was similar to this. Like if you drive the DCT version of it, it's like, or it was called the SMG back then, um, and it was one of those things where it's like that technology wasn't where it should be. So you got annoyed driving that transmission. But then when you drove the six-speed, you're kind of like, oh, this doesn't feel right either, because the car was too competent. Really, you know, the feel, the analog feel wasn't there with that generation. Yeah. Um, but then the automated transmission was not there either. So these guys that tried to kind of toe the line instead of just engineering a really good flappy paddle, and then saying hey if you want this particular kind of feel like porsche maybe we'll create a one-off model for you guys and you guys go buy it and we'll only build like 50 of them you know so all that to say it feels like manufacturers have Pretty much given up on the manual transmission and for good reason because nobody buys them new. All of us, we don't buy new cars. Right. We all buy used cars. Yeah. So we're not really helping a, ca- a car company or manufacturer's bottom line because. We don't buy new cars and we're the ones that buy manual transmission. So yeah. can't really complain that they're not making them because right. even if they make them, we're not going to buy them. Right. We're going to wait for depreciation. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> now what's happening is, is we're seeing with a few different models where people would love to have a manual transmission. Um, you're starting to see private companies get into the game and say, hey, we'll pick up the slack. <clears throat> so we'll make those quote-unquote, one-off models for customers that want a manual transmission in a car that doesn't offer it today. And so, um, you know, we talked a little bit about, before, about the F430, the guys down in San Antonio that are uh, that took a 430 Scud, uh, which was not available with a manual transmission, and they figured out a way to put one in there. Yeah. Right?
0: Beautiful gated manual. And everybody. I, I've seen that car on YouTube, and, and everybody I've seen who's dr- driven it, like as a reviewer, mm-hmm. And these guys know because they drive lots of different cars, they've said it's the best Ferrari they've ever driven.
1: And that's so Bar crazy. None. To like me.
0: over the F forty, over any like name a Ferrari model, they've probably driven it. They like that one the best. Like
1: you're comparing that to a, a super fast, or you're comparing that yeah. to an F twelve. I'm I'm sitting here thinking, really? That yeah. is the best car from Ferrari that you've driven?
0: Absolutely. That's what that's what they say.
1: That's pretty that's big. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like we see um, Jalopnik featured this other car, uh, it, the Q60, which uh, for those of you guys like me who haven't kept up with Infiniti's <laughs> nomenclature, that's basically like their G35 coupe that they sell today. And um, it's got a really great motor in it. I actually rented one, uh, a Red Sport, um, and that was a quick car. It was a pretty furious car. Like it felt good. From it's my like a small version
0: of the GTR engine. Yeah, it is. It's okay. basically the same. It's the same platform. It's the VR. Uh, the the GTR is the VR thirty eight, and that one has a VR thirty. Yeah. So it's just a smaller version of the GTR engine. I think it has four hundred horsepower or something.
1: I mean, it felt good, yeah. and the, when you're pulling on a highway, the thing felt great. But the transmission did let it down. It was an automatic transmission. It was a slow shifting transmission. Yeah. When you wanted to, when you pulled the paddle, it took a second and. So on and so forth, and and there's some guys out in Arizona. It looks like they're called Concept Z Performance. Um, they threw a 370Z manual transmission, a six-speed in it, uh, which they said bolted right up.
0: That's crazy. Yeah, but that but that's the trend now, and I think that's what you're getting towards is like so for the folks who want a new car, but they also want a manual because they just prefer that they prefer the experience, they know that it's gonna be not as fast, but they don't care about that, they're not going to the drag strip, they're carving canyons, or they just want that engaging feel while they're driving down the highway, there are options. Even that that. same company that you mentioned that did the uh, 430 Scuderia uh, manual swap, they are um, taking orders now on manual swaps for the Mark V Supra.
1: Which, okay, so tell them how expensive it is, or how cheap it is. cheap,
0: I mean, okay, that term's relative, but. You know, you you figure if you have a Mark V Super now, you paid MSRP plus ten to fifteen thousand dollars markup. So you paid seventy grand for it, let's just say. And then the
1: C So I'm not sure that's a seven thousand dollar
0: And then the C eight came out and you yeah, kinda and then, cried a little bit. We, we, but we. regardless, you have a super now for twelve grand, and that's the initial pricing they announced. For twelve grand, you can get a brand new BMW six-speed transmission and pedal box and everything installed with labor and that includes a tune to the ECU that presumably turns off all of the Christmas tree lights on the dash that would light up when when you started it up and it's like, wait, where's the transmission? yeah It, it takes care of all that, but it also adds a hundred horsepower. So for 12 grand, you get a six-speed transmission brand new off the BMW parts. itself I would guess with a warranty and you get installation and you get 100 more horsepower yeah there are guys who pay 12 grand just for 100 more horsepower oh no doubt yeah
1: yeah for bmw guys that are used to the na motors 12 grand guy gets you like 15 horsepower yeah <laughs> that's pretty much what you get
0: i'm used to, i'm used to the boost in life but yeah, yeah but yeah so t- that sounds incredibly reasonable yeah. if you want a manual mark 5 supra
1: so that kind of hits on this idea that's kind of neat so you have if car manufacturers, they don't have to create a manual model of a car if they can kind of create a modular platform where something current bolts up. And so they would just have to have one manual transmission that they can service across multiple models and let the private sector do it. And it's yeah. just like, why not? And yeah. it make it easy enough to where they can code it and, and keep the lights from showing up and everything like that. But so since the super is a bmw power plant or drivetrain bmw already makes a six speed and which is kind of cool so the thought of just dropping it and throwing a six speed transmission in there the e46 m3 guys um do this if they have an smg because that was the first generation of their automated or dual clutch trans or it's right. a single clutch i think at that point but um they They found out that dropping that transmission and putting in a six speed was basically a bolt on affair. Like and drilling a hole for the extra pedal. But um once people find that out, like if you can modularize that whole experience, then I think the enthusiast will pay. So what would happen, this is the way I look at it, I would buy a used supra at a discount and then spend the twelve grand and I've got that money to spend. You know? So and if the trending is right. I mean, and most of us buy used cars anyway. Well, as long as we know the option is out there, we'll pay to get the manual transmission if we really want it. Yeah. Um,
0: so, yeah, it's it'll be interesting to see this as a trend continue. It's kind of, um, I think it's a way shops are getting a little bit of publicity right now. Like they're taking really expensive random cars and, and finding a way to swap them. Um, you tell
1: me about the Huracan. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, for any listeners who don't already um, heavily invest in YouTube subscriptions to car <laughs> channels, you should. And one of them that you should be watching is B is for Build. Um, this guy has been doing. He's a he's a huge DIY guy, and he just builds random stuff, um, engine swaps. I I um, got turned on to his channel when he bought a salvage GTR. This was not long after I got my GTR, and he completely rebuilt it, mm-hmm. like. And not the expensive route. Like, he takes the reasonable route. So if he can fabricate something himself instead of buying something new, he'll do that. Um, And so I got to learn how my GTR is built by Nissan by watching him rebuild one that had been crashed. Uh, But I've been watching him since. And he's building a SEMA car now. And he got a, uh, from a from Copart, or from a, a recycler, he got a Huracan. Well, he got half a Huracan, the front half. The back half had been on fire.
1: Was it a yellow one?
0: No, it was, um, I think it was white. Okay. He has another Huracan that he had already rebuilt. So he, he kind of d- does the thing where he, you buy a wrecked car and rebuild it, and now you have a rebuilt car for a, a bargain, right? Mm-hmm. Something that you might not have been able to afford in the first place. And so he did the first Huracan, but you come to find out, he he did that Huracan because he wanted it to m- take molds off of to rebuild Another Huracan. He was going to do an entire carbon fiber body. Oh wow! Himself by taking mold, and huh. he he never worked with carbon fiber before. He was just going to learn as he went. Turns out plans change. He ended up buying a Super Trofeo body from Europe, had it shipped over, and now he's doing a custom wide body built by uh, designed by um, Kaiser. What's his last name? He goes by the Kaiser on um, on Instagram, and I don't remember his last name right now, but he's a um, Concept artist for cars for video game companies. And so hmm. that guy did a rendering and he's custom building the body kit off of the rendering, which is really cool. Um, and he's doing a good job of it, and it's based on a super trofeo body. But the engine going in it is an LS2 or LS3, I don't remember. And it's gonna be a twin turbo, six-speed. Hurrican. so it'll be the first manual Huracan, the first ls swapped Huracan. <laughs> it's not the first up. turbo Huracan, but the first twin turbo ls six-speed rear-wheel drive hurrican hmm. completely hand-built yeah and it's cool to watch him as he goes he's got some help he's hired some folks who kind of uh, have day jobs but they come over at night and they work on this thing and they're they're excellent at what they do really really good fabrication and they're um they're having fun with it and making mistakes and fixing their mistakes and it's really fun to watch the evolution and their goal is to have the car done for SEMA Hmm. which is what like 12 weeks not even 12 weeks away is it November right it's in November yeah Yeah. so um they're coming down to the wire
1: it's interesting yeah yeah so the manual transmission thing will be really fun to watch I think Uh, it, it makes you want to take a harder look at what you would buy and what you wouldn't buy Because you think, you know, if I have an automated manual or if I have an automatic, you know, when I trash the motor, can I keep the car? I mean, when I trash the transmission, can I keep the car? Yeah. You know? Well, in a lot of these builds,
0: like guys are doing where they're taking a, a thousand horsepower is kind of like the benchmark now for a build. Yeah. And they're taking car X and building it. Well... And it, it's been well-documented for pretty much any car how to get the engine to 1,000 horsepower, but you start breaking transmissions and yes. axles and other things like that at that point. And so there are some transmissions out there that are known to be able to take the abuse and the horsepower. So why not just adapt a yeah. T56 to your RX-7 or whatever? You know what I mean? Like find ways to adapt different transmissions to different engines and that's that's what we're seeing happening and it's always been people have always done it but it's happening at a much um more it's it's kind of a trend it's happening at a much more frequent pace now which is cool the guy who's building that huracan he's got a gallardo transaxle on the back Mm -hmm. of his ls engine through just an adapter plate that he bought like he didn't have to make it there's a company that makes Adapters for LS engines gonna, to Gallardo do transaxle. A, like what? Why does yeah. that even exist? Like, there's so many people that need that thing. That this company, he just could order it. America. Yeah, um, and he's using an Audi R8 shifter. Oh, okay. From a from a V10. Yeah. Gated, R8 um, in a Huracan. So Huracan engine, Chevy and en- or Huracan body, Chevy engine, Lamborghini Gallardo transaxle, Audi R8, which is a Gallardo. Yeah. Um, shifter and.
1: Well, before you do the 6 speed on your Supra, just kind of maybe hold your horses for a minute cuz there's rumors that Toyota might do it themselves. So, you what, know. What what rumor it what rumor
0: has not circulated about the Mark 5 Supra?
1: <laughs> Dude, I'm telling you, like the more I look at that car, uh, the less I dislike it. Did
0: you see and I'm going to I've always liked I've it. been very outspoken on my feelings of the Mark 5 Supra, but I'm I might be eating some crow. Not that I'm going to get one, but um, I'm starting to like it. I'm starting to accept the platform sharing with BMW, Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm starting to, as a car, respect it. Yeah. I mean, when I see guys who spend a couple bucks on a turbo upgrade and a tune and a downpipe and nothing else, and they're making five fifty at the wheels. Yeah. That's impressive. And that you know. Everybody who's into BMWs is like, "Well duh." Yeah. We know that. Motor. We know that. Yeah. yeah. We know that. Uh, motor. But for me, I don't know that. So that yeah. I'm like, "Oh, okay. Yeah. I get it." That's very super like, yeah. you know, back in the day, BPU on a super was, you know, some do-it-yourself, you know, boost controller and some basic parts, PVC pipe, you know. Yeah. And uh, and you were able to crank up the boost and make some serious power for yeah. the day. And that's happening again. That's a very super-like thing. So, and uh, that was the thing for me
1: when I was looking at it. Was like the spirit of the car is there. I I get that it may not have the same size or presence, but the spirit of the car is there if it's reliable. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that remains to be seen. We'll see where that goes. Yeah. So definitely, when it comes to performance, I you know we can we'll probably wrap this up here soon because we're coming up on time, but um. We could finish off with this: is the idea of whether performance, like performance, matters to us? But you know, like I help um, I help people find the right car for them, and it's really funny, like how many times I hear, "I want a car that performs well," and um, and then we start test driving some cars, and the cars that they say perform well don't perform well in my eyes, right? And so there's this idea of when. You know, what we talk about performance and what we need versus the people that probably usually go out and buy cars, brand new cars and do all that kind of stuff, what they consider performance. Yeah. Um, so I guess the thing is like in in terms of when you're helping people out, um, I think it's so easy as an enthusiast for us to say, yeah, do you get a Cayman S, you know, or get a 911 turbo? Like if you want to go fast, that's what it is. When, really, they might jump into a G37, you know, or they might jump into like a normal car and be like, oh my gosh, yeah, this is great. And it's because they came from an 82 Geo Metro or something. But who knows? But should the average car buyer really care about performance? Like, what are your thoughts on that?
0: The average car buyer. Excuse me. Um, I don't know. I, I don't think the... Is, is the question, should the average car buyer care or do does the average car buyer should care? Should they? Who am I to tell somebody what they should care about? Yeah. You care about performance or you don't. Yeah. Right? Like if you, I can see that the question's a little bit leading. Should you care about performance? Well, somebody who does care about performance is going to say, yeah, because it's safer if it can break better or if the if the handling is better or whatever. Um, you're going to avoid uh Accidents that you might—that's not kind of where my head's at. Yeah, um, but that's—I think that's just an excuse, right? Like you, you can also so? avoid stuff by not driving like an Paying idiot. Paying attention. Yeah, so I—I um, I don't think we should be telling people what they should care about. I think, but but um, maybe I would say people should care more about what a car is and what it can do. Yeah. Right. I don't think somebody who buys uh, a Jeep Compass should be driving it like they bought a, you know, Toyota MR2. Yeah. And so I think people should care about the capabilities of whatever car it is that they're driving at the moment. Yeah. And if your car has higher capabilities and you are the type of person that wants to express those capabilities within the legal confines, yeah, because I'm not going to, I'm not going to condone anybody breaking the law, but you know, we know what happens. <laughs> um, but you know, if you know the car and you want to express the performance level of the car and it has that, then do it. If you have a car that you wish had more performance, but it doesn't, don't drive it like it does. Yeah. And if you care about performance, and then then yes, as you're shopping, you should try to find something that's suitable to the way you want to drive.
1: Yeah, uh, a question that I've learned to ask when I'm talking to people about this is, what does performance mean to you? Because for some people, like reliability is performance. It needs to like perform consistently, right? Or it needs to like get me get me there and back, and this and that. For some people, performance actually means tech. And and comfort, they're like if the car doesn't perform these tasks for me, right? Then I don't want it. If it doesn't have lane keep assist, if it doesn't have a 360 degree like if it doesn't have those, um, for some it's the traditional like go fast, go this and do that, and then for some it's really just pure comfort. It's really interesting like when you ask the question, well, what do you mean by and for like the Overlanders? It means something completely different. Oh, yeah. Performance means something way yeah. different. Right? I want
0: triple lockers and, and some yeah. type of like hill descent assist or whatever, yeah.
1: All of that. And so it's kind of one of those things where it's really funny what a like that next level question unlocks. Yeah. Um and I think everybody should care about performance, but what performance means really varies from person to person as they do it. And that helps you really kind of dial in, okay, well you're more a audi person than you are a jeep yeah. person or you're more a nissan person than you are a bmw person yeah right? um so it's
0: less about should they care about performance performance and it's more about how do they define performance because everybody they, cares about something that their yeah. car is giving them
1: how, the car has to perform yeah for them right yeah. and for some people like they just want an appliance that they can hook their bluetooth phone up to um and for other people they want to be able to go to the track. So performance and means something different. Yeah. You know? Um but I I think like the idea is, yeah, you should care about performance, but understand what it means to you and then go after that. Yeah. You know, it really helps because all of these manufacturers, they have a very as much as we like to say, you know, they're all doing the same thing, they actually take a pretty different approach to their cars. Yeah. You know, if you step into a Mercedes versus an Audi versus a BMW, you get very distinct experiences. Right. And if you jump from one of those German cars into a Lexus or a Toyota, even between like Toyota, Nissan, and Honda, you get very distinct ways of approaching that performance, yeah. right? Um, and different strengths and different weaknesses. So, it's just kind of interesting to me like how it works. Like in the regular, I'm gonna say regular car area, like you see Mazda really coming up now. Because yeah. now it's not just raw feel handles. Um, now it's like, wow, this thing, bar none, has the best. In- I drove an Accord last week, I drove a Camry the week before, and then I was in a Mazda 3, a new Mazda 3 and a Mazda 6. That, both of the Mazdas, hands down, no comparison. The interior was a full level, more premium than the others. Wow. Yeah. It's the design, the fit and finish, the materials, everything felt great. Nice. You wouldn't have said that about Mazda if you, but they take a very distinct approach because, hey, is it going to be really reliable? I don't know. You know, right, hopefully right. they built the mechanicals, right? Yeah. Is it, um, does it have the same handles that it did? Yeah. It's better than the other two, but it's not the same. Yeah. Right.
0: It's not about zoom, zoom. Purely Zoom, Pure zoom anymore. anymore. Yeah.
1: Right. And so you find that they, t- and their design language is beautiful to me. Yeah. Especially compared to, you know, like what Toyota is doing nowadays. Right. So it, it's just, but other people, they dig the Toyota stuff. Who knows? Yeah. You know, they just buy that. But understanding what it means to you is really important because it helps you dial down, you know, what it is. Like for me, performance is not all out speed anymore. Like yeah. I want a timeless design. And I want it to be quick. It doesn't have to be the quickest, but I want it to be quick. And um, depending on the car I'm buying, uh, I want it to be really comfortable or like really quick. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think to me, performance for an individual, it's the quantifiable things a car needs to do for you. Yeah, every car buying and car driving and. Car enthusiasm is a emotional kind of thing, yeah. and so there's always the the kind of in research it's like qualitative versus quantitative research. Yeah. The qualities of a car that make you feel a certain way are different than the quantifiable things Correct. a car needs to do for you. And Correct. so I think what you're saying is if you're shopping for a car, considering a new car or a used car, um, you should be honest with yourself and like make two a piece of paper draw a line down the middle make two columns one is how does it, how do i want this car to make me feel and then what does this car need to be able to do yeah and that right hand column of what it needs to be able to do is that's the how you as an individual are defining performance
1: and and then i go the next step with them and i tell them to prioritize it yeah because we you want a can't lot Can't always things. have it all yeah y- you likely won't <laughs> right right i mean some of the stuff is basic but a lot of the time, you gotta choose between a reliable car, a good, well-performing car, yeah. and a great-looking car. Right. You know, that it's flashy. Yeah. So, they all kind of have, to create this tension, so you gotta figure out, okay, would I give up reliability for the performance, right. or would I give up performance for the reliability? How does this thing play out for me? Yeah. Um, good, so yeah. that's
0: good advice, man. Yeah. We just cracked a nut on how to think about <laughs> buying a new car. little navel-gazing and, and being introspective about it. I like it. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for today. We're going to wrap it up. Yeah, man. Thanks for coming Let's out here. It. Have a great holiday weekend, by the way. I know that as folks are listening to this, Labor Day was like Might two weeks ago. Laugher. Yeah, hope but you
1: enjoyed the, your Labor Day weekend. Yes, but we, we're about to
0: enjoy our Labor Day weekend. So thanks for listening. As always, you guys can hit, hit us up at, um, I was about to give my personal, <laughs> hit me up at Gallo 24 Just GTR, me. Lance at Inside the Rim, and you can hit us both collectively at Launch Control Cars on any social media platform or always email us at cars at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. All right, y'all be good. Peace.